The Cloudcast is sponsored by Intel Cloud for All, driving the creation of tens of thousands of clouds. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, Just me tonight, Aaron, is uh, dealing with some issues. Uh, Everything's good on his end, just sometimes we all get busy. Uh, A couple of housekeeping notes before we jump into the show. Uh, First and foremost, I want to thank everybody who made a contribution to the Krispy Kreme Challenge. Uh, We raised over $3,600 this year for the North Carolina Children's Hospital. And uh, while Aaron and I stood and, uh, and accepted a trophy from them for, uh, for, for the contributions, um, you know, we always come back and say, look, you know, it's our community. Our community raised a ton of money for a really good cause. It's the fourth year in a row uh, that we, uh, you know, we, we raised the most amount of money uh, to help those kids. So thank you to everybody who made a donation big and small. And uh, every year it's, it's huge for us just to sort of represent the community and, and be able to do that. So thank you very much. Uh, the other thing, real quick, um, there was a show that we published earlier this week uh, with Matt Brender uh, talking about some of the work um, that had come out of the the open source group at Intel. Uh, it's a framework called Snap around um, telemetry and so forth. And uh, good news is it was a really interesting conversation. We will probably follow up the conversation. The bad news is um, we got a ton of feedback from people that somehow uh, the audio got corrupted uh, in transit. And uh, so we had to pull it down and uh, we're going to try and fix it, but I don't know if it's salvageable. So apologize to anybody who was looking forward to listening to it. We will try and get it re-recorded. Uh, but if it, if it showed up in your player and, uh, and then it went away, we, we apologize for that. So every once in a while, uh, we'll have an audio glitch. And, and unfortunately, this was one we couldn't fix. So anyways, uh, let's let's get going with the show tonight. Uh, really excited to, uh, to have a, a good Good friend of the show, a longtime friend of the show, um, Rob Hirschfeld. Welcome back. It's been it's been a long time since you were on the show. We've we've talked we've talked to you a ton of times at events. We just haven't had you back on the show. Brian, I appreciate it. It's fun. I went back and was listening to what is it, episode sixteen? Yeah, and uh, yeah, that, <laughs> blast from the past. It's, I know. It, I love the show. Y'all are doing an amazing job in a lot it's, of ways. It's, I appreciate uh, that. It's it's been it's been four years, and it's amazing to kind of see how far the industry's changed and moved around. Um, so let's, let's not go that far back in time. I, I think, you know, a lot of people know you, um, from a lot of things you, uh, you know, you are, a you're an entrepreneur. You did a, you did a number of things. You and you and Dave McCrory did some very cool things back in the day. Um, you were doing a lot of very interesting things around cloud early, uh, automation, open stack at Dell. Uh, and then you branched off and you, you, you've been building, uh, a lot of things. Um, you've been, you know, what used to be called crowbar open crowbar, and now is called digital rebar. But tell us about, about your new company, about rack N, what have you been working on and, and what are the things that you're passionate about right now? Oh boy, there's a ton of, this is a really exciting time to be in the industry because we're, we're, we're changing so much. It, it feels, it really feels more disruptive even than the early days uh, when we were first doing cloud, um, way back, way, way back. Um, and so what, what we've been doing in, in rack N is we've taken this, this project that we started five years ago at Dell, um, and digital rebar is really a third generation of it. It, it doesn't look at all like, uh, what I like to call as your grandmother's crowbar. Um, from that perspective, um, 
But what we did was we took it's the same team that, that started that project, and, and SUSE still maintains Crowbar One for OpenStack, uh, as amazing as that is to me. Um, and we really went back and, and asked what was the fundamental problem? Mm-hmm. What, what, you know, what was causing people to have so much trouble with deployment? Because it's not an OpenStack thing. I think OpenStack gets a huge uh, rap for being hard to deploy, when the reality is uh, data center operations is really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a lot of moving pieces. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's uh, OpenStack by itself is sort of a misnomer. It's you know multiple multiple projects doing lots of different scalable things. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a difficult problem. Well, and and I think that people don't solve the they don't, they don't solve or know about a lot of just the data center things you have to deal with, right? Registering servers and DNS, and actually figuring out IP allocations and building network topologies. You know, those are those really matter, and if you don't put them together in the right way and in the right sequence, it becomes very hard to sustain what you've deployed on it, let alone upgrade it. Right. Um, and what happened for us is that we sort of got to this milestone with, with Crowbar and OpenStack and then Hadoop and, and, you know, we reached a point and said, this is really great. And our product management came to us and said, but what we really needed was up- upgrade. Good job on install. <laughs> upgrade. Right. Need upgrade. Um, and we we literally tore the part you know that had to tear everything we'd built apart and and take a different approach um, to be able to do upgrades and and you know I don't we're, we're not doing OpenStack upgrades. Dell decided to go all in on Red Hat and stop funding the project and and Racken came out of us looking at each other with this basically you know new approach to how to manage operations in a repeatable scalable way, not cloud but the actual ops underneath the underlay mm-hmm. and um you know we felt that that was really important and we went out and, and started building that um and we got to a point whew, about six months ago and we switched it all the containers so we we took what had been open crowbar and we said ah this is great but it's really hard to install still it's it's confusing there's a you know it's, it's a tricky thing and we pulled it put we we decomposed it into containers. Uh, we'd already been using console um, and really created a, a, a truly containerized, multi-service-oriented um, deployment, you know, operations architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that was pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, that's, and that's an interesting thing. So um, the, we've got some things in the show notes that folks should go take a look at. Uh, you wrote a really nice piece that's in the new stack, uh, the new stack website. If anybody doesn't read that on a, on a daily basis, I, I highly recommend it. Lots of really good in-depth, uh, technology, but, but you wrote a really good piece in there that basically said, um, you know, we had this sort of monolithic application, uh, if you will, and we had to break it apart. And, you know, like you said, there was, there was a, a business need, there was a technical problem. Talk a little bit about, just the concept of taking a, a large piece of software and, and, um, you know, how you go about breaking it apart without, um, you know, without sort of radically changing your life that, you know, sort of start over and, you know, burn it to the ground, you know, get the, cause that's, cause that, that's on people's mind right now. A lot of people are kind of, they're excited about the prospect of things like microservices and containers and, and the prospect of things going faster. And then they go, uh, but it, we don't look like that right now. How do we get from A to B? So you, you've, you've got some scars. What's, what's that, what's that process look like? We definitely, we definitely have the, have the scars, the, the, there was some editorial licensing calling them easy steps. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and so 
let me let me frame something a little bit, like sure. I framed in the article, because it, it helps to understand what we do, right? So, so digital rebar manages operations, mm-hmm. and and our our big aha about about that in this, this transition we talked about was that doing good operational stuff means you have services you interact with and you have configuration you do. And what what our big realization was that you have to intermix services and configuration in sequence, right? That's that's sort of the the magic of digital rebar. It's orchestration. And it can handle a service action like setting up a DNS or adding an IP to a DNS server or talking to Amazon or talking to an out-of-band NIC management interface. Mm -hmm. Those are services. And then it can go to the node and do configuration like uh, actually creating a bond on a machine or installing OpenStack. And so we already had this sort of con- conceptual framework that said, well, we had to deal with services anyway. And, and the reason why that's important is because we'd already been thinking in service terms. And way, way back, 18 months ago, way back, we'd already embraced console as a way to do service registration. So if people aren't familiar with what console is, console is um, – it's like etcd is in the same family it's a distributed database it stores objects so you can use it for an object store in, in a lightweight way or and or you can use it as a service registry so different things come on on net and they register here i am this is my ip address here's some information you need to access me right and so we'd already been using that to say oh where's the dns server where's the chef server where's my dhcp server so all these services that we had to consume we were already starting to register through console so that if we didn't provide them or if our, you know, if our, if our customer or the site provided them, we could register them in console first and then we wouldn't have to, we'd just use what was registered. Right. And so that was, that was sort of this first step. We'd already invested in that. Um, and, and that's what, from a migration perspective, people should be doing that as aggressively as possible. Get configuration out of your app and move it into something like console where the different parts of your app that need to know about other pieces aren't dependent on configuration files. That, that really, more than anything else, that was the big leap. Yep. Um, and, and that's important. And it's important for a lot of things for, you know, it's the whole concept of sort of immutability, right? It's um, I, I want to define what, what the environment should look like. And uh, your, indiv- your application shouldn't be defining that so much as, as the system should be, you know, giving it guidance on on what's the latest of of what's going on is that is that fair? That's that is fair. Although immutability to me was was the thing that sort of kicked our butt when we got to the next the next step. Okay. So, right, we were we were sort of able to cheese through some of these steps by still using configuration. Okay. Um, so, like uh, DNS, right? We could we could run a DNS server and then talk, use Chef to poke it every time we needed to change something. And and frankly, it's I, I say cheese, but it's not it's not a negative thing, right? We we start you know you want to do this iteratively, you want to do it in incremental steps. So a certain degree of cheese is okay <laughs> as you as you go through the migration. Right. Um, but what we ended up doing is then we started picking the low-hanging fruit and saying, well, you know what? This thing could actually be an API. So instead of configuring, kicking our DNS server through Chef, what we did was we put a Go API in front of it, and then um, you could configure the DNS using the API, and then that could then front-end other DNS servers. Um, and so we kept we sort of kept up this pattern of saying, oh, you know what? It, you know, Instead of doing configuration here in the container, what we would do is we would actually put an API wrapper in it that would front that and then 
sort of cut that that cord, that configuration cord, if you will, mm-hmm. piece by piece by piece. Okay. Um, and then that ultimately, as we did that, we could break things into individual containers. We used Compose, which is really nice. If you're monolithic, Compose is really simple because it's meant for one system. Right, that being Docker Compose, right? Do- sorry, yeah, Docker Compose. Um, and so what we did was we basically just started cleaving things out and putting these little APIs in front of each service uh, as we went. And we got we got to a point with that where we got everything running in containers and, and service discovery and all that stuff, which was really cool. Until, there's always this pregnant pause with the until, <laughs> until we stopped everything and tried to restart it. And then we realized <laughs> we, haven't ex- we haven't really made it immutable. Okay. Because immutability says, I don't control the life cycle of that container. It can get destroyed or come back, right? You, you, it's, to really take this last step with microservices, you have to build services that don't store their information internal to the, the container. Uh, and right. so that is, there's no one size fits all solution. And that was really, to me, the biggest learning from that, that whole piece is don't expect a one size fits all solution. That was, that was sort of the, an anti-pattern for us. We looked at it and uh, we have DNS, DHCP, provisioner. We have a whole bunch of services. Those services, you know, are lightweight enough they can use compose, but the images for the provisioner because we have to you know you have to pixie boot a full image, those are stored in a file system that gets attached uh, to the container. Right. Uh, you know the, our application uses a database, so the database you know it attaches to a database server, and the database server uses external storage for that. So I, know, I wish there was I could point and say hey do this one thing, but you can't. You have to look at it uh, service by service. Right. Well, and I, and I think. I think the reality that that I've always found, um, you know, having having attended, you know, a million talks from people and gone to events and talked to people is there are a lot of patterns that, um, you know, are very adoptable, right? That you can you can kind of get very close to to, you know, what somebody else's pattern or somebody else's framework looks like. Um, But but there's always that last I don't know, it could be one percent, it could be five percent, whatever it is that you sort of go. Yeah, it doesn't work for my thing, and 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 it's okay, right? It's you know I think sometimes people have this this thing where they go, oh well, if it's an anti pattern, I have to go, I have to run away from it, and I can't deal with it. And and the reality I think is you know sometimes the last one percent or five percent is just hard, and and like you said, you have to cheese through it, you have to sort of hack your way through it, and um, you know it may eventually evolve to where it, it fits into some nice pattern, but but it's it's not an unusual thing. And that was our experience was that we, we sort of started this process and then we go through an iteration and we find a pattern. We go through an iteration and find a pattern. Um, we were just, you know, we were just talking about changing some of the way we use con- uh, console and we've, we sort of rebuilt that, that base layer over and over and over again. Yeah. It's just, it's just part of the cycle. Um, I, I will say that if companies aren't, if they're, especially if they're using Linux and the, as their deployment target, um, and they're not using containers for at least control, controlling the packaging. They're crazy. Yeah. Um, it's you can take the first step on this journey, and then and, and then slowly add it. It's not a big deal to add it, and I, I would strongly recommend people sort of start the journey. Yep. Don't don't delay that. Right. You know there was there was a part of me given given all of your background, uh, you know, having been really involved with the OpenStack stuff, to say, hey, let's let's spend some time with Rob talking about kind of where OpenStack is and so forth, but. I, you know, I think I might skip that and, and not, not because of anything to do with OpenStack, but 
you, you think about a lot of big things. You think about a lot of sort of, um, you know, big challenges and so forth. And I'd almost like to sort of dig into some stuff that's a little, maybe a little above OpenStack or beyond OpenStack. You know, you and I were talking, you know, before we got on about this concept of, of, you know, the challenge of, you know, moving environments from, you know, what's been developed to, you know, what, what gets tested to, uh, you know, what goes into production. And, and right. you know, the people, fidelity gap. Yeah, the fidelity gap. You, you, that's, I'd never really heard that term, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Talk, talk a little bit about just in general what those challenges are. Because I think right now there's a little bit of a um, – people have this sort of nirvana where they're going, oh, well, if you move everything to containers, container is just this thing. It's independent of, you know, say hardware. Uh, it'll just kind of, you know, allow itself to be migrated or – uh, be portable. <laughs> Talk a little bit about just the the experiences you have, you know, from what you've done in the OpenStack world, but but that are relevant yeah. to as things become containers or they become microservices and so forth. Uh, it, it's interesting because there is this container nirvana that everybody sort of assumes they're going to get, where developers have to get to stop caring about ops. That's that's the thing that that sort of makes me see red when I talk when I hear people talk about containers. It's like with containers, the developers can just write their app and package it in a container and never worry about operations. Um, and anybody who believes that, uh, you're going to get what you deserve on that <laughs> side. Yeah. Um, Right. I mean, the, the whole the whole idea with DevOps is that we're trying to, to make dev development and operations and even other components of the life cycle much more of an integrated process and realize that there's value at different parts of the chain. Um, and so when we look at the fidelity gap, what, what we really what we really believe is that, you know, it's very, very important for the development experience to be very closely aligned with the operations experience. And the, the challenge with this is that it actually adds some overhead for developers, and developers hate overhead. Um, but they might end up doing some config, you know, using Chef scripts or using Ansible scripts, or um, you know, actually doing a little bit more of a multi-node deployment than they want to, because it's going to expose networking issues that that they really don't want to deal with. Right. And the, the idea with Fidelity Gap is that if the developers never hit the the networking issues that the operators deal with then they never those things never get fixed right if they don't have to do a logging you know re- looking through a log to find an error that's not theirs then you know we've sort of lost something and that ends up being a real challenge when the developers get so myopic and and i you know i'll, I'll happily throw openstack under the bus for this um <laughs> in that you know openstack in the in the uh diablo at the boston summit diablo um, introduced something called DevStack, which is a single machine OpenStack that with a Python configuration thing, and the developers, and then the QA gate became that, and it sort of became this this. It worked in DevStack mentality, which to me is exactly where the you, you know you, you your alarm your fidelity gap alarm bells are ringing, because you just said developers don't worry about what operators have to deal with, use this safe little environment, and if it works there, then we'll accept it as working code. And there's no such thing as a useful single node OpenStack deployment. It's it's an anti pattern. Yeah. Um, well, so, and, yeah. And, and the parallel is there for the folks that say, "Well, I, it works on my laptop, so therefore it must work in, uh, you know, must work in production kind of thing, right?" right. It's you know, n- networking between two VMs on your laptop and and networking in the real world is very different. Amen. <laughs> so that's, 
Yeah. A lot of a lot of a lot of and this is what people don't realize about the work we've been doing with digital rebar and, and legacy of that is there's a significant amount of networking um, that you have to do to make that stuff work. And people sort of gloss over that part. They're like, oh, I'm going to provision a machine. It's like that's the least of your concerns. It's right. getting the networking so that you can work across different environments and Amazon and Google and metal. And that's that's the challenge. Right. That's brutal. Well, and, and that was, I, you know, Aaron and I end up having a lot of conversations that unfortunately don't get don't get captured on the show. But, you know, that was one of the things we talked about at the beginning of the year, we said, you know, quite honestly, um, you know, the, especially in the container world, like Docker has become the least interesting part of Docker, right? The container part is, is, and and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, you know, great. We know how to package up bits and we know how to package up applications and it's awesome that they figured out how to make that simpler. And, but, but now you have everything else you have. How do I, attach data and storage and file systems. How do I network these things? And, and it's cool. We're seeing a lot of really interesting innovation around, you know, around people, how people do networking, but you know, I think what people are going to quickly figure out and and Docker will be part of this, but the rest of the ecosystem will too, is that all those other things that have been hard for many, many years are going to be equally hard, whether your thing is in a container or it's in a VM or it was on bare metal or it's in a cloud or something. So, in some in some ways they're even harder right this is a, when we migrated everything to containers networking was abominable because containers generally network through a nat mm-hmm. and applications freak out when they're natted like real networking things that do networking freak out when they're natted and you're talking about microservices you're taking a monolithic application that could sort of just communicate internally and now you're spreading it and requiring network access between all its components. I, there's, we're we're about to put a serious hurt on network topology management. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah, it is. It's I, I tell you what, if you if you don't believe any of that, go go find uh, your local CCIE and take them to a <laughs> Linux box and say, hey, uh, I want you to configure networking on this Linux box for me, and and just watch that that sort of head explode because having been a CCIE and then having to jump on and somebody tell me like configure IP tables and a bunch of other stuff, you just go, it doesn't look like the networking that I know. It doesn't, it, it's just different. And, and, and now we're, you know, we're embedding it in the kernel and doing other cool stuff. So, um, and that, actually I'll jump in with a, with a gratuitous, a short gratuitous plug from that perspective. But one of the reasons why we built the stuff we built with, with digital rebar and, and crowbar back in the day, is because the networking configurations were so convoluted and complex that it was nobody could get them right. Yep. Uh, that's probably still the case. And we're watching. We're, we're we're doing four different styles of networking for Kubernetes, so people can experiment. And we would do the same thing with OpenStack if we felt like it was it was a thing we wanted to tackle. But it is so hard to build multi-node networking in a consistent way. Um, you have to automate it. You know, there's just there's just no choice, and one of the reasons we feel like people run and run aground on this stuff is they don't just don't have good cluster operations stuff to do the security and the networking correctly. Right, right. Um, well, and 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 that is so different for people because I mean there are so many network operators. I mean this this I don't want this to turn into sort of a bashing, you know, networking <laughs> or bashing operations. It's you know, it's containers are different. If you if you listen to our show a week ago about you know with with Chris 
uh, from Pawnee Networks. It's different. If you've listened to us talk to, you know, uh, uh, Alexis from, from Weave, it's, it's different. And you just, you know, you have to realize, like you said, it has to be automated. It has to just, it has, you know, apps just have to be able to come up. They have to discover the services immediately. They have to be given the, the name and address and all that stuff immediately. And then, and then start working. And if it's anything more complicated than that, yeah, it's, it's going to be very difficult. Right. Um, so, you know, you're, you're working on a lot of, a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. it's, it's, let's, let's talk a little bit about kind of, you know, we're hearing a lot of people that are talking about things like hybrid cloud. Um, they're trying to figure out the difference between, you know, running stuff locally that could be bare metal to virtualize to containers, to, to running them in, you know, in public clouds, like, Talk about yep. some of the thinking that you've got around that, some of the challenges you're trying to solve, um, you know, with, with the stuff you guys are doing at RackN, just across those, those different domains. So, yeah, we, we sort of, there's, there's a, I love this phrase, declare defeat uh, on things. There, there's, there's certain classes of problems that you don't, trying to fix, fix them is silly, uh, you know, you, you just declare defeat and then you figure out how to protect yourself from it. Hybrid's one of those things I've, I sort of believe is a declare defeat. We're never, and I don't even think, I don't think anymore that we should move everybody to a single infrastructure, right? Amazon's not going to become the only cloud you use any more than VMware is or Metal or OpenStack or anything. Yep. And so, you know, you sort of, if you, if you accept that as fact and then you look at, the infrastructure, like, well, we're going to be in a hybrid infrastructure. We're going to have multiple vendors. We're going to have multiple providers. We're going to have, you know, and that actually looks a lot like the PC market did right, 10 years ago, uh, where it's really the openness comes from having multiple providers. You don't have to have one API to rule the cloud. You can declare defeat and say, well, you know what? We're going to be able to talk to Amazon and Google and Azure and Metal and that's that's a lot of what digital rebar has done. We we our architectural design declared defeat on trying to force conformist conformance and said we're going to decompose all this operational work into very small units and then allow you to to swap them in and out like blocks. Yeah. Um, and from a hybrid perspective, we found that that was really really powerful because it let us say, well, we're going to run against Amazon and eighty percent of these blocks will work. But the twenty percent that's different between Amazon and Google, uh, we'll just swap those out. Or you know, we need another you know fifty percent more blocks to run on Metal because we have to do our own networking there. And so, uh, you know, we really we really started thinking about hybrid in a much more functional way. And this is one of those places where I, I feel like OpenStack. You know, I'll throw OpenStack under the bus again. I'm not really throwing them under the bus, but but I feel like OpenStack bus. looks looks very inter- looks is very navel gazing. Yeah. Right, um, and at Def, when I was doing DefCore, this is sort of how we do. We, we want to have OpenStack compliant clouds that are interoperable. And now that I'm, I'm sort of stepping back. I'm looking. Well, we actually users, real users, the people who who pay money for things, they want their operations to be portable and interoperable across these different infrastructures. Right? They don't have four OpenStack clouds. They have maybe one and maybe a partner. But most of them are using Amazon and Google and Azure, and, and that's where they want interoperability. Yep. Um, well, and I think and I think what you're pointing out is a really important thing. I, you know, the the industry got kind of wrapped around this 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 axle of you know interoperability. You know, VMware to VMware and OpenStack to OpenStack, and um, and and I think 
like I use this analogy all the time. If, if you're, if you're a C-level person and you're sitting around the table with all the other C-level people, you know, IT is the one group that kind of, you know, goes, well, I, I'm going to do everything myself. And, and you look at every other group, like, like the marketing group has, you know, three or four functions they do internally and three or four functions that they, they outsource to groups that are just far better than them. Finance does the same thing. Uh, HR does the same thing. And, and so I think your approach where you're saying, look, it's, it's maybe not so much about sort of hybrid interoperability, but it's about hybrid operations consistency. Like that's a really important concept. It, 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 it's like you said, it basically accepts the reality that, that there will be multiple environments that you want to work with because they're, they're advantageous to your business. And, and that's an approach. If you can figure out how to do it, you can find the right tools becomes really valuable as opposed to, you know, being mad that the vendors don't have a single standard or, you know, hypervisor standard or whatever standard you're, you're interested in. Right. And that's, to me, it's about, you know, the, and I think this is, this is the trend maybe for, maybe even not for 2016, but 2017 is for CIOs trying to take control back. Right. And I'm not saying that they want to own their own infrastructure. What I, what I'm saying is that they want to be able to be the ones making the choice about where they're running their stuff. They don't want a developer to hard code things to Amazon any more than they want them hard coded to metal. Right. Um, And so, you know, the businesses really need to have control over how they, how they, build infrastructure and what they do. Um, and we need to be able to, we need to respect that. Um, as much as, as a vendor, you sort of want to lock people in, right? Oh, I'm a chef shop or I'm right. a puppet shop. Right. I, the reality is I haven't met anybody anymore who only used one <laughs> tool, tool yeah. <laughs> or one cloud or one vendor of hardware. And the, and the reality is if they do, they're almost always looking for how they escape to that second one. And so it's, it's not a matter of am I A or B it's the percentages that you have of A and B is, is what I think people's data centers are going to look like. Right. Right. Um, now, now let me, let me, I'm going to kind of wrap this up a little bit cause we're getting, sure. we're getting near time. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. You're, you're, okay. you're very, very plugged in. You're, you're around the industry. You're kind of hands on with things. Um, you know, you're, you're down in the operation space. You're getting things working. Um, but you're watching all of this, you know, container orchestration, container frameworks coming along. It, it's kind of the the underlying space you're in now. What are the you know maybe, maybe not so much picking winners and losers, but like what are the trends that that you're kind of betting on that you feel like you know is is where customers are going, where the technology trends are going, and, and maybe you know we're going to see flourish in sixteen and seventeen. Oh boy. Um... Almost be easier to pick pick short term winners. Sure, well that's that's fine too. Do that too. <laughs> well, I'm not going to make friends. Um, and and our pers- our perspective for for Rackend and Digital Rebar is that we're really an operations platform. So we we like to let people pick and choose, right? So yep. you can do Docker Swarm or you can do Kubernetes, and you know, and we think that there's an element of that that that's going on. I, I do think that you know container orchestration and networking and storage related to it are going to be huge things um but there's a balance between too simple and too complex um i've been and also community and, and interactions of community are important so I, i've been pretty excited to be working in the kubernetes community um because i think they've got sort of a balance of capability and simplicity um I think tools like Mesos, which are really interesting, they just they do so much that it's a little bit more for people to figure them out. Um, 
and then but still inherit some of the changes, the, the challenges of Kubernetes. Um, I think Docker is doing some really interesting things, sort of building a more consolidated ecosystem of, of their tools. Well, they're, they're really becoming a single vendor for that. Um, but it's, it's not quite as much of an orchestration system, so they're taking a different approach. Um, and a rancher, the guys at Rancher, I think, are doing some really interesting work um, along those lines. They're sort of sitting in between what Docker's doing and what Kubernetes is doing. So there's a nice spectrum. Um, CloudSoft is sort of from the, between Kubernetes and Mesosphere. Uh, so you have this spectrum of, of people who are working on container orchestration. The, the things that I watch for, though, are how well they're going to plug into adjacent. And the word adjacencies, I love this word, although most people's eyes glaze over. So adjacency is a technology that's needed to support what you're doing. So in, in, in container world, networking, software-defined networking and software-defined storage are adjacencies. You need them. You need good, strong tools to make the container orchestration work. Um, so that's th- those are adjacencies. Those are going to be uh, – we're going to put a lot of stress on those. Just like OpenStack really stressed the SDN market in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, it suffered because the SDN market wasn't there or isn't there for what OpenStack needed, um, at least in the open. And OpenStack really has a bias towards purely open vendors. Um, and then on the on the other side, the, the other adjacency that people need to watch out for is if I'm writing a nice little app, my database is an adjacency. Um, or in, in service speak, it's a database service. So if you're running Kubernetes in, uh, in Amazon, you're going to use an Amazon database service to spin up an adjacency of a database. We're not yet at the point where people can really build their full infrastructure on those platforms they need to think about how they're going to build the adjacencies and then network, very importantly, network to those things. So if I bring up a database, I'm not necessarily going to run that in Kubernetes. I guess I could. Um, there's a reason why they use Redis as the back end, not Postgres. Um, so somewhere I have to have a Postgres database that has high bandwidth connectivity to the web application I'm spinning up in, in the containerized. So there's a lot of these little details that people sort of gloss over that, that I think are really important, I guess, cause I'm an operations person at heart. Yep. Um, no, that's good. So that's, good so that's, that's where I, I think, you know, if you jump in on these communities, and I, I, I think people should, cause this is going to, it really does have tremendous benefits from application management and pipelines and all that stuff. Watch out for the adjacencies cause they're, they're going to slow you down. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's I think that's great insight. I think, uh, like we said, it's um, you know the the container is going to be the least interesting part of the container industry uh, in 2016 and so forth. It's it's getting things into production. It's dealing with dealing with you know what real architectures look like. Uh, Rob, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up with that. Um, you know where where can people find you? Where can they interact with you? You know, out at meetups and events and stuff, or uh, you know, pick your brain, buy you a beer, all that stuff. <laughs> I'm based in Austin. Uh, I'm in the Valley. It seems like every other week. Um, and uh, actually, a lot of people are coming to Austin with OSCON and, and OpenStack. So I'll definitely yeah. be at those shows um, and always happy to interact. I am Zeical. Pretty consistently everywhere. Z e h i c l e um, is my Twitter handle and um, my GitHub handle, and you can you can track me there. The the my work is rack n r a c k n, um, and the rebar project is rebar.digital. I love that URL um, or digitalrebar.com, but I, we always rebar.digital. 
and and come play with us right we're we're at a point where um we've on the physical side we've created everything you need to to finally take a reasonable replacement for cobbler um which I feel like is is long in the tooth and ready for for some real orchestration. Or come play with us on the Kubernetes deployment side, Docker Swarm, and you know getting multi cloud orchestration. We're we're having a lot of fun uh, doing those things. It's you know it's we're still building this stuff up as a startup. So you know happy to play and, and entertain people in the community. Very cool, very cool. And and you know Aaron and I always say, you know we love guests that that sort of live in the dirt right there they, you know, they, they they sort of and i don't mean that in the wrong way like we love people that you know have gotten their hands dirty have figured out you know through real usage um the types of problems and then they went and built the technology that that would have been the tool they wanted uh for you know for their previous life and and then you know in a lot of cases became you know, commercial vendors and, and so forth. So, uh, you know, folks, uh, you know, Rob's been doing this for a very long time. He has been one of the really pragmatic voices in the industry talking about how important it is to make sure that operations is is included, that, you know, you're thinking about operations as opposed to some of the unicorn and, and fairy dust stuff. So um, very cool stuff that you've been working on. Cool to see the the evolution from from crowbar to open crowbar to, to digital rebar and, and you, you know, uh, you know, keeping up with what's going on in the microservices space. So it's, again, it's, it's one of those great things of you're living it, it's going into the product. That sort of experience is something you can, you can bring to people. So folks, you know, go take a look at it. It's very good stuff. Rob and his team are really good people. So, uh, with that, I'm going to wrap it up, uh, for myself and for Aaron and for Rob, thanks for listening. And, uh, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 